Well, hey, good morning, Journey. How's everybody doing today? Good? Man, I'm so excited that you're here with us uh, here on this day, the Lord's Day, that we get to worship Him together. Uh, so we've been uh, traveling the last couple of weeks through the book of 1 Peter. Actually, it's uh, considered a letter or called a letter or an epistle. Uh, so it's a letter that Peter wrote to the church as a whole. Paul wrote a lot of other letters that were written specifically to people or specifically to a specific church. And so this is a general letter to the church that's in dispersion. Okay, that means they have dispersed out of uh, their homeland and they are in these provinces of Rome and they're being persecuted. And so, uh, man, we're going to dive right in this morning. We've got a lot to cover, and then so I want to make sure we have enough time to do that. If you have your Bibles, I invite you, uh, if you open to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be in verses 22 uh, through 25. And so um, I want to give you, before we read this, you can go ahead and open there, and uh, let me uh, set up what we were talking about last week. So last week, uh, we heard Peter say, and we're to be holy as Jesus Christ is holy. So, so we're called to live a holy life. But he also said we need to change the way we think. Okay, it's in, it's in our thinking. It's in how we, how we live our lives every day and how we move and live and breathe in this God's creation. And so this week, he's going to shift a little bit, and he wants to talk about living your life just before the eyes of God. How do you just live your life every day? I mean, what, do, what does it mean to truly live in obedience? What does it mean to live in truth? So Peter continues to exhort his readers how to live a Christian life, right? I mean, that's, a, that's an overarching question we all want to know, is how do we live this life? And then Peter's going to continue to give us some, some ethical instructions. Just how do you be obedient? How do you live your life in view of the cross of Christ this morning. And so I want to invite you, if you would stand with me this morning, honor of reading God's word, and I want to pray for us uh, before we read this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I just ask you, God, to take this time, God, to take your word as we're going to read this morning, the enduring word of God that never changes and has no end because it lives and breathes inside of us. So take your word this morning, Father. I pray it be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, that it would guide our way that we might not sin against you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. All right, so beginning in verse 22. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass. And all its glory, like the flowers of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And the word is the good news that was preached to you. Reading of God's word. You may be seated this morning. So, so think about this. I, I will give you a couple overarching thoughts. First, he says that you're going to purify your souls. Okay. And, and it's how do we do that? Well, we do that through our obedience. But what are we being obedient to? He gives that to you. He says, you're being obedient to the truth. Okay, so, so how do we do that? He said, well, it starts with a sincere brotherly love. How do we view the church? Anytime you see in Scripture where he says brother or brotherly, he's talking about your brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? Not that we don't love everybody else, but how are we loving the church well? How are you loving people in the church well? And then he even goes a little bit further after that. He says, and since you've been born again, 
Okay, so you all, if you're a believer in Christ, you've been born again into, and we read earlier in 1 Peter, a living hope, right? But he says it's one that is, is perishable. Uh, uh, it's not perishable, see, but it's imperishable through the living word of God. And so we're going to get to the truth of what all this means uh, for us this morning. So I want you to think about this. Um, and this, this is going to be our big idea. What has more control of your life? The temporary or the eternal? What, what has the main focus, the main control of your life? I mean, I mean if you're really honest, I mean, take a, take a gut check, you know? Is it the things that, that really don't matter? The th- things that pass away, okay? And it doesn't have to be material things. It could be, it could be physical things, okay? Physical things can control our life, too. I mean, it's crazy to think of that. You know, I... Uh, we go and support Troy because he's a part of the core. And so since I've fallen off the stupid ladder, um, my, have you ever noticed if your toe hurts like a, a little toe, how much that debilitates you? So somewhere in the joint, right at the bottom of my pinky toe, has never healed, right? And so I can, I can walk like 20 yards and I can just feel it throbbing, right? And so yesterday I let it, pretty much just consume my whole day. I'm, I'm, so, I'm sure my wife is like, just shut up about this thing toe. You know, because I'm like, oh, I hurt so bad. <laughs> you know, but things can control us, can't they? They can consume our lives. Have you ever been on a roller coaster? I think a lot of people have. Some people are smart and don't get on them. You're the smart one. I'm not. I was consumed by roller coasters. Well, why do I like roller coasters? Because it's the thrill of the ride, right? And I especially like the new ones because you don't know what's going to come next. You don't know where all the turns are. So I grew up going to Six Flags, the only roller coaster park in the world that, that I would deem uh, the place I would go is Six Flags Over Texas in Arlington. And so we'd go there, and every time they would open a new roller coaster, I remember when the shockwave opened up. And that was the best thing because you had two loops in a row, right? You go upside down and throw up even more. It's great. And, and then they had this, uh, this uh, Mr. Freeze that flies 100 miles backwards. So you get to experience the whole thing backwards. I'm like, that's fun. Let's do that. Well, so why, when you get on a roller coaster, who's in control? Are you? No. We have no control over where that thing's going. We are trusting somebody else to control that. How crazy is that? We'll put our trust and faith in so many other things, but we don't put our faith and trust in God. Think about it. We don't trust him to control our lives. We're going to look this morning at four ways to live a life before the face of God and how to really trust Him with the control of your life. The first one is we live our life with a truth that obeys. So you look at the beginning of our text this morning, it said, having purified, and we'll come back to that in a minute, purifying your souls by obedience to the truth. So, so you have a life of faith. Okay, with the truth that obeys. So the present tense of the word to purify in the Greek is the word to consecrate. We, we talked about this last week. That means to set apart. If you're a follower of Christ, you're set apart for God's purpose. And you're actually, believe it or not, you're set apart for the purpose God intended you to be all along. It was a purpose he already, already intended for you to experience. You also have the verb hagnizo, meaning to make holy. We looked at that last week. It is used constantly in the Gospel of Acts, referring to ceremonial, religious things. So they were constantly making things holy, making themselves holy again. Well, how did they do that? Well, in the Old Testament, they brought all these sacrifices, right? 
So, so you had to bring all these sacrifices to be holy. But as a great craftsman, this is what God does for you and me. God works on our souls, gradually making us more like him. Did you know obedience doesn't happen all at once? How, do, how does a child learn to be obedient? Do they learn all at once? No, they learn through a lot of trial and error, right? They miss it. They mess it up. I, I mess my life up all the time, and God's continuing to work on me and to sharpen those edges. See, most of us think purification on the soul is something that takes place only when we become a believer in Christ. It's like we give our life to him, all of a sudden, boom, we're purified, we're holy. No, that's not the way it works. Peter tells us that purification is to something. What's it to? It's to obedience. Obedience to what? The truth. How do you become obedient to the truth? So purification feeds our obedience. So the, the more okay, we're being purified, the more we're going to become obedient. It, it doesn't happen all at once. How are you feeding your obedience today? I would just ask you, how are you feeding your soul? See, he says having been purified could, could refer to our initial conversion, but I think it's more likely our post-conversion. I think we are being purified every day. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? He's a new creation. So we know the old has passed away, but the new is coming. That's a future tense. It's happening. It hasn't finished yet. See, obedience occurs 15 times in the New Testament, but never means just the initial saving act. It means you were saved, you are saved, and you're being saved by the mercy of God. See, the obedience that Peter speaks of is obedience to the truth. We read in John 8, 32, Jesus said, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth of your word. Galatians 2, 4 through 5 says, Yet because a false brother secretly brought in to slipped in uh, to steal your freedom away, Christ Jesus, so that they may bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission for that moment, so that the truth of the gospel may be preserved in you. So there's something about this truth. There's a radical trust among Christians. So Chicago Tribune wrote in 2000, uh, about uh, uh, an incident at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Anybody been to Fort Bragg? Some of y'all have, okay. So Fort Bragg, North Carolina, there was a, a clerical error and this supply clerk with the 82nd Airborne Division uh, got put into an airborne unit. He's a, he's, a, he's a pencil pusher, right? And so, but they put him into an airborne unit and he never had jumped at all. And so they put a parachute on his back, and he literally steps up to the door. This army specialist, his name was Jeff, he's 23, he jumped, and he landed unhurt. What caused that guy to think about jumping out of a perfectly good airplane when he had no training? It was a clerical error, okay? But he had been put into a billet he hadn't been trained for. Well, there's something that we're taught. I don't know about Army, but we're taught this in the Marine Corps. It's called instant willing obedience to orders, right? You don't ask questions. You just do, right? Whatever they tell you. Here, private, put this on. Go, you know? I mean, my, my drill sergeant told me all the time, he said, he said uh, Hoover, if, if God had wanted you to have a brain or a wife, he would have given you one at boot camp. I'm not giving you either. He said, because I control you. I own you. I'm going to tell you what to do. And so what do they do? They brainwash you to, to just 
walk without asking questions and, and just do. Now, it's a little bit different to walk in obedience with Christ. He doesn't make you be obedient. Did you know that? He can't make you. He can't make you be obedient. That's why in the garden they willfully chose to do what they wanted to do. But see, the idea in our culture today is an objective truth doesn't exist. In fact, this is what R.C. Sproul, uh, the great theologian and a pastor, said about it. He said, our culture is against the idea of objective truth. He said, and this is rooted and grounded in fallen humanity's fundamental hostility towards truth itself. He, said, he goes on to say, people do not want the truth to be objective. Have you ever noticed that? They don't want truth to be objective. We do not want the truth to be binding upon our conscience. Because by nature, truth is our enemy. And we do not want to submit to it. Or as Peter says here, we do not want to obey it. The tragedy of fallen humanity is that we tend to give ourselves in obedience to the lie rather, rather than the truth. Have you ever experienced that? We give ourselves in obedience to the lie rather than the truth. Why do we do that? Why do we continue to do that? Well, it's not enough just to know the truth. I mean, you can come to church from now until, until you die and they put you in the ground or, or Jesus comes back first. And just coming to church, okay, doesn't make you into an obedient, truthful person. See, see, it's not enough just to affirm the things in this book. See, we're caught up in a fierce desire to find a way to relate to our culture. And so people, all the time, we want to relate to culture. We want to be relevant. Well, what's happened is the church, in a lot of ways, has become so relevant to the culture that we stop looking for the truth. We start minimizing the truth. You don't believe me? Look around. I mean, honestly, look around. Where does truth come from? Well, believers say it's here, right? It's the Word of God. But it, it's not just this book. It's because this is the inspired Word of God. It comes from Him. He gives us truth. And so the danger comes when we hear God's Word, and then we tailor it to our tastes and our preferences. We're like, eh, I, don't, I don't really like that truth too much, right? That didn't quite jive with what I want to do. And so sooner or later, this is what happens. The church must come back to a confidence in God, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Principle number two, what we live our life with a love that is earnest. We live our life with a love that is earnest. Now notice he doesn't say just any other love. This is the second part. So it says sincerely brotherly love. Okay, that's the first part. So you're sincere about it. And then the second part, he says, love one another earnestly. Now, now let's look at that word earnestly. What, what does that mean? Is, is that just a, a warm, fuzzy thing? No, that means salvation is living in the way of love. Salvation is living in the way of your love. That means because of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, his death on the cross, that's the only thing that enables you to love. I mean, truly, okay? say today I'm, I love my wife and you could ask me say well Pastor Mark what do you mean by that well, what do you mean by you love your wife I'm like well I married her <laughs> you know I bring her flowers on our anniversary I do nice things for her I care for her but, but it, it, are all those things love no those are a byproduct you know we see what love has but we must work to recover an understanding of how love is truly practiced he says here it's an endearing love the kind of love that peter has in view neither is a warm fuzzy okay or, or a view of 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 
Joe or Jane worker swapping stories around a coffee pot. That is not true love. See, this is a righteous relationship with a holy and living God. And he is the only one that can cause you to truly love, truly understand love. In fact, um, Jay Wilson writes in, in Christianity Today, he says, love is a terrible, debased term today. He says, almost beyond rescue as a description of the good news of the kingdom come in Jesus Christ. We must work to recover and understand and practice what love is. Salvation is living in the way of love. If you don't understand Jesus Christ, you don't understand his death and crucifixion for your sins, you can't understand love. And so we also understand that we stick with the stuck, okay? So sometimes this sounds a little exclusive, right? People would say, wait a minute. Now, Pastor Mark, I know the Bible says we're supposed to love everybody, right? We're supposed to love the whole world. We love people as Christ loved us. You're absolutely true. We are called to love everybody. But did you know that there are different kinds of love we love with? And the love we have for the church is not the same as the love we have for the world necessarily. Because as a believer in Christ, we are called to the, the church, okay? Now, then we go out and we spread the gospel. Our desire is that more outsiders will become insiders because they see love exhibited in our life. So what does this mean? It means the result of a purified soul leads to sincere brotherly love. It's a different kind of love that, that most of the world doesn't know. I mean, Jesus said, how are they, or he asked the question, uh, how are they going to know that you're Christians? And what did he say? They'll know you by your love. Well, he's talking about our Christian love. They're going to know us by our love for each other. So the truth of the gospel is motivated by your love. It motivates you. It moves you to a different level of life. That's why people sacrificially do things for people they don't even know. Because they have that kind of love. And it's called an enduring, abiding love. See, mutual love becomes evident in our lives as the community it, it lives for the the the, the Im, understands that there's a difference between imperishable life and perishable this life is going to end people ask me all the time how do i know if someone is truly a believer in christ have you ever asked that i get those um i, I get emails uh used to pretty often from from different uh parents who's who maybe a uh, child has wandered away from the faith or, or they're caught in rebellion, they ask me, and that's a legitimate question. How do I know if they're truly saved? How do I know if they know Christ? I used to, this used to be my answer. I used to say, which it's a legitimate answer, but I, I want to preface that because I, I, the more I read Scripture, I think there are markers of true obedience, true belief. You know, I used to say, like everybody else did, well, nobody can know somebody's heart. I can't tell you if they're saved, which is true. If I don't know them, I don't see the markers. I don't know anything about their life. I can't tell that. But the Bible over and over again says what? That we're known by our fruits, right? So there's a picture of what a true believer looks like. And the greatest marker of that is love. I mean, you go to 1 Corinthians 13. It says that there's faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. Love is the greatest. It trumps everything else. So when somebody is sacrificially loving people, just, I mean, it oozes out of them, okay? Now, I'm not saying every day you wake up and you're like, oh, I just love all the people I work with, and I'm in this, this love fest all day long. It didn't happen that way, okay? If you're waiting for that, you're, you're going to be mistaken. But it means deep down at the core of who you are, okay? First, you love God more than you love anybody or anything else, okay? And then you love his people. You love his creation. 
We live our life with a rebirth that is imperishable. Look at the second part. He talks about the perishable and imperishable. I love, you're going to know this. First Peter talks a whole lot about it. He uses this language. So he says, um, he says, since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, okay? Though the living and abiding word of God. Okay, so, so what is the difference? See, this will begin to, to make things right. This is the very first line to understand in, in, in Christianity, is to understand there's a difference between perishable and imperishable. In fact, the, any of you that are Star Wars fans, if you watch The, the Force Awaken, uh, the first line in that movie is, this will begin to make things right, okay? So if you go through the saga, it's, it's a pretty, it's kind of a sad thing if you follow it this closely. But uh, some Star Wars enthusiasts feel this is, doesn't introduce the storyline accurately because, and I don't know why they did, Lucas did it this way, but they, they introduced all these at weird times, right? And so I had to my, have my son break it down. I'm like, which one is the first one? Just tell me. I don't know. I can't figure it out. You know, first we had Luke, then we're going back to Anakin, and then uh, where does all this come to play? But understand this, there's an overriding theme in Star Wars, and it's of the sin of the world. Okay, and you, you'll continue to see it. I mean, there's a clear, stark difference between good and evil, darkness and light, right? See, this is why the first line of the Force Awakens begins with good news. Because he says, this will make all things right. So this is what the spirit of truth does in your life. It makes all things right. No, we, we were once dead to the things of God. And the Bible says, now you're alive to that. Your, your, your mind has changed. So regeneration is the beginning of this life. It's the beginning of the Christian life. Our Father wants to give us what we need, okay, which is himself. Not what we deserve, right? Because what do we deserve? We deserve death. In fact, I th let, me, let me throw a word at you, okay? Um, I think you're all smart people. I think you can handle this word, okay? So it's... it's uh, it's monergistic work, okay? Let, let me explain what this means, okay? It means only one person can give or generate something out of nothing, okay? And that's God, okay? He's the only one that can give you rebirth, amen? You, you follow me? Okay, he's the only one. You can't save yourself. See, that's, that's a, a monergistic approach to the gospel. That means our rebirth is while we were yet dead in our sins, we are now made alive to Christ. You look at, uh, let me read Romans 5, 6 through 10. It says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now say, you were weak. You, you didn't know him. And he still came to die for you. And go, uh, Paul goes on to write, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare die. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still what? Sinners. Christ died for us. See, for the moment of your regeneration, okay, you, I mean, you didn't know him. You were wandering out there in the abyss of space and time, not knowing where your future was going. Okay, kind of like the whole saga of Star Wars. I mean, they don't know. You know, they're still wandering out there. I don't know. I watched the last one it ended, and I still don't know if it's over. I'm trying to figure that out. Okay? And, and so that's a, a modern sadistic. So, you, so you're waiting for that igniting in your heart. The second word is a synergistic. So what is that? This is what happens. This is a venture between you and God. This once he ignites that in your life. So this is a seed, right? 
before that, you're just flesh and bones, living your life here. You're going to die someday, and life is done. Okay? But synergy, what? It gives, it gives it growth. It moves forward. So when you enter that life with Christ, you now have a synergistic life. It's, a, it's a, a partnership between you and God where you're growing in faith. You're growing in maturity. You're growing in all this. We're going to read next week. Look down at chapter 2. He says, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk so that you may grow in your salvation. So, so you put all this together. This is what the new seed gives you. So it, it's much like this. I don't know what I did with my robe. I must have moved it. Okay. So, so picture, I was going to give you a great illustration. Maybe I'll do that next week. But I had this rope that's somewhere. Um, so picture your life, okay, right here at this point. Say on this stage, this is where you're at. Okay, I don't know where you're at on the spectrum. And say you go as far back as you can remember in the past, okay? You just go back there, okay? How far can you go? Well, some of us, maybe early elementary, maybe... I don't know if you remember being a toddler. Maybe I don't. Okay, <laughs> some may not. Early elementary, the older I get, it gets pretty fuzzy. Okay, so so go back as far as you can remember that way. Okay, and then you stop where you're at. Okay, now we can't see eternity in the future. You don't know what's going to happen. You can guess. Okay, so so this is the amazing thing about God, and this is the, this is where this imperishable plays in. So God is in eternity past. And he's also in your eternity future. And he's also right where you're at. So, so he's where you've been, and he's where you're at, and he's where you're going. So, so you are being born again, not of uh, a perishable thing, but imperishable. And that's hard for us to think about or even fathom something that's eternal. So what's the difference between perishable seed and imperishable? What does it take for a seed to grow and take new life? All seed needs what? Water, oxygen, Proper temperature, things to germinate. I mean, it takes a lot for a seed to grow. I didn't realize, I started examining, I'm like, dude, that's why a lot of seeds never take root, right? They don't have the right elements to grow. God has all the elements that cause your life to grow. He's the only one that can cause your life to move forward. See, God knows how weak we are. And so what happens is a lot of people, if this is where you're at, that's where you stay, okay? God is moving. He's wanting to grow you forward towards eternity, but you're stuck, and you're just staying right here. He wants you to grow. He wants you to move. See, your heart has to be changed. Look at the end of this. So he goes on to say, he says, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Number four, we live our life with a word that is abiding, an eternal word. And, and look, look at the very end of this. It says, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So what is an abiding word of God? Well, it starts out with this word, all flesh. Okay, so there's two different ways to look at flesh in Scripture, especially in the New Testament. You have, you have the flesh that is sinful, okay, that's that fleshly behavior. When the, when the Bible talks about um, don't live any longer in your flesh, don't live any longer in your sins, okay, the second way to look at flesh is literally, you know, skin, you know, I mean, it's your flesh, right, that's on your bones, okay? The majority of the time in, in the New Testament, it talks of it as sin when it re relates to sin, 
But here, okay, he's talking about your body, okay? So, so all flesh is going to die and pass away. That means your mortal body is going to decay, is going through a process of decay, okay? And then he, he says, just like the grass withers, and just like the flower falls to the ground. But he says, the word of the Lord remains forever. So he's quoting Isaiah 46 uh, through 8. He's going back and quoting the Old Testament. So you think about King Solomon. King Solomon said, everything had a time and a place, right? Under heaven, right? Everything, right? But he was the most wealthy guy beyond measure that the world has ever known. I mean, I would love to walk through this God's palace. The Bible says he was wealthier than any king that ever lived. But at the end of his life, at the end of all of it, what did he say? Anybody remember? It's folly. It's worthless. It's nothing. It's meaningless. He says it is a, it, it's a chasing after the wind. There's nothing in this life that I've obtained that is worth anything. I think that's, that's really surprising coming from the smartest guy who ever lived. Because the Bible says he asked God for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom, but this is the irony of God. He said, I'm also going to make you the wealthiest guy who ever lived. He went through all of that. In fact, Hebrews 4.12 talks about the Word of God, and it talks about it as something that is living and active. So he speaks, and it happens. He speaks, and it takes place. See, see he speaks, and, and, and all of the things come into existence. Um, think about this. He speaks... Uh, and, and Sarah has a child at 90 years old. Anybody, well, nobody, I, don't know, I doubt anybody here is 90. I'm not even going to broach that question, okay? But how many of you want to have a baby at 90? Well, no, right? But God, could, God did that. I mean, did that. She didn't think he could. I mean, she doubted it would happen, and God did that. I, I mean, and, and then you think about um, the angel that came to Mary, right, in Bethlehem. He said, you're going to have the Son of God as your child. You're going to give birth to the, the living word, right? And, and it happened. So anytime God speaks, things happen. So I have a confession to make this morning. My wife's not here, so she can't squirm and be nervous about what I'm going to confess to you. I have this obsession. It's called football, and I have no idea why. Right, because and, and please come admonish me today, because I need to be admonished at times. Now I can tell you that obsession is not as deep rooted as it used to be. Right, I don't sit around all Sunday watching football games or all Saturday. Okay, I've I've learned that 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 doesn't control me. But but I'm not really sure where it comes from. See, I've spent time preparing to play sports. I played football um, and played. For a short time at spring ball for college, uh, went to OU back when Barry Switzer was the coach. I was in their football camp, and, um, and, and, and so I went through this whole level uh, of sports-related things. But the more I listened to football, especially uh, the pros, once they reached the Super Bowl, that's the pinnacle, if, if you didn't know that, in football, is to reach the Super Bowl, okay? Every one of them inevitably says that there is a letdown after reaching there. Why? I mean, they, they've obtained everything they thought they wanted. Well, they feel a letdown because it's not enough. 
It, it is never enough. They feel this letdown, and, and it, it's all there in front of them. See, is that not true for every human ambition we achieve in life? We get there, and then we're like, this isn't all it's cracked up to be. This isn't what I thought it was. Well, why? Because the Word of God is the only thing that can give enduring life to you. It's the only thing that can breathe life into you. It's the only thing that matters. See, it's not subject to decay or change. In fact, God's powerful word creates an eternal reality in your heart, in your soul, in your life. Psalm 33, 9 says, For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and he stood firm. The word of God stands forever. Only a building designed and built with an exceptional skill can stand centuries of abuse. Um, I, I had the opportunity to go through the Holy Lands um, years ago. And I remember going through ruins, right? And these, I mean, it's amazing. As I'm walking down the Via Dolorosa, I'm saying, I'm walking on, on, on the same street that Jesus walked, right? I mean, that's hard to believe. I'm walking on stones where Jesus walked. That's how old that stuff is, right? But even as old as it is, that stuff begins to decay, yet even the most well-constructed structures will not last forever. It's impossible. It cannot last forever. It goes through oxidation. That stuff begins to break down. We have all seen pictures of visited ruins, long crumbled houses and kingdoms, and every kingdom falls. See, the decay and the destruction uh, of this world is real. It's evident. It is all around us. But in the light of these realities, it can be difficult many times to hope in anything because we just see the decay. We see the destruction. I mean, you look around the streets today and you see all this decay and destruction. See, there are many things that we put our faith and trust in every day without question. The 10 years from now really don't matter because they're not going to be here. They're going to be gone. They're going to be, be destroyed. Y'all went back to Six Flags years later to find that roller coaster I first rode and thought was so cool. You know what? It's not even there. They got like a mirror jumpy house thing there. I'm like, what were you thinking? You got rid of the <laughs> coolest thing in the park, right? And people, I'm trying to explain what it is, and all the employees are looking at me like, you're crazy. What are you talking about? It doesn't last. I mean, this stuff passes away. Seeing the scriptures... They, they say what you're experiencing now is a mere reflection of things to come, okay? So think about the best day you've had with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The highest moment you've had in his creation here. And guess what the Bible says? It says it is a mere reflection of what's to come. What's to come is so much better. So much greater. In fact, if we understand where we're at Okay, at this point in our life, we understand what's to come is so much more glorious because he ends this, and I love, he says, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. There's better news for this world than what's going on on the football field on Sundays, what's going on in an amusement park somewhere that I used to love. But the sad thing is some Christians are in the waiting room. Some people treat the church like heaven's waiting room. What does that mean? That means we, we act like Jesus puts us here on Sunday for an hour, and then we go home. And then we come back to the waiting room, and then we go home. We come back to the waiting room. We're just in this holding pattern. See, churches were never meant to be a collection of isolated people in a waiting room. 
right? How many like to go see a doctor and wait in a waiting room? I don't. I hate that. I mean, in fact, I, I'm getting antsy. If it's been 20 minutes and I had an appointment I haven't been seen, I'm probably talking to somebody saying, I'll come back, okay, <laughs> when, when we get my schedule in there, right? Because waiting room is not where you're meant to be. In fact, churches were, were meant to be a living, breathing body of God. And that's why God's people are working, living together every day, loving each other well for the kingdom of God, headed towards the truth. And so, so I want you to think about this question. You can write it down this morning, sometime this week. What difference does it all make? What difference does the truth all make in your life? What difference does this make? Does it change you? Does it make a difference, right? Are you living, some people live over here. We live in eternity past, right? We can't get past this, right? But some of us, maybe we're here and we're, we feel stuck. And some of us, maybe we're moving forward or were, and something pulled us back. I don't, I don't know where you're at this morning, but when Paul talks about living the obedient truth in love to an enduring word of God that does not change, it never perishes, he calls us to live for the imperishable, not the perishable, to live for the kingdom of God, not the glory of man. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you this morning, God, that you've called us into a greater life. Father, we know that everything on this world is passing away. Father, it doesn't last. It doesn't sustain us. I mean, we can find joy in things for a little time. For a little while, things seem like uh, they're all working out and working together. But Father, many times we're in the waiting room. We're just in a holding pattern. And we forgot that you have greater things for your glory in store. Father, like the grass that withers and the flower that falls to the ground. But the imperishable is the glory of the living God that lives and breathes and moves and gives us being, gives us life. So, Father, I pray that you would bring hearts to life this morning. If there are dead hearts in this room or people listening this morning on their TVs or radio, Father, I just pray that you would bring new life right where they're at, that they would get on their knees before you, a holy God, and they would seek your face to live their life every day presence of God. We love you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your most powerful and holy name. Amen. So wherever you're at this morning on that line, right, in your life, okay, God has you here for a purpose and a reason. And he doesn't leave you here alone. The Bible says he doesn't abandon us. He doesn't, he doesn't leave us to figure this whole thing out, right? He gave you the truth. Over 2,000 years ago, his answer was Jesus Christ. When he sent him to this earth to die for you, that was the answer for your life. What are you doing with the answer? What difference does it make in your life? And so my, my prayer for you this morning is you take what you've learned, take what you know, but you don't just set on it, that you do something with it, that you move forward with the gospel of Christ this week. And you can do that in several ways, just really practically, okay? The first thing is to be united in community. That's why the Bible calls us to be in a body of believers, be with people who can encourage us, who can walk that life. You're not meant to live isolated in your house. You're not meant to live isolated at your job. You're meant to live for the glory of God in the community of believers. And so you can do that right here. Uh, and then the second thing I, I would invite you to do is if you don't know Jesus Christ, you need to come to know him this morning. He is the only one that can truly change your life. He's the only one that can make a difference in your life, and he's the one that can get you from where you are to where you want to be. And so I'm going to be praying for you this morning. If that's you, I would just encourage you to invite him into your life today. 
The Bible says you do that right where you sit. It's not a mystical prayer that you pray, okay? You just get on your knees before a holy God. And you just say, I'm done. I'm done with all this I've tried. Father, I'm ready to follow you. I want your son to lead my life. And just give your life and surrender it to him this morning. We're going to have people here this morning. I'd love to pray with you. I'll be available after church or even this week to sit down. Let's talk about that relationship with Christ. We're going to enter into a time of the Lord's Supper communion. Churches have done this for centuries. And the, the reason we do this is just to remind us, okay, of the great hope we have in a living Savior, that we serve a living Lord. And it bonds us together in brotherhood and in the body of Christ. So I'm going to invite you, if you've given your life to Christ and you're a follower of Christ, to take part in this with us. We have a table at the front and back. So I'm going to invite you to come to the table. We'll bring the elements to our seat. Let's take the Lord's Supper this morning. Let's stand, church. I invite you. Let's come to the table. that you're here this morning, that you're present with the body, so we can do this together, um, because I, I think sometimes maybe we rush through the end of worship, and we forget the significance of this, so I just want to remind us this morning, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, it wasn't something to be taken lightly, it was something to glorify him, as he was glorified on the cross that day on Calvary, and so he took the bread, the Bible says he blessed it. He passed it to him saying, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Let's eat, church, the body of Christ. Even though you're holding this morning just a, a little cup of juice, it represents so much more. We're reminded in Hebrew, without the shedding of blood, there could not be a remission of sin in your life. So it's the lifeblood of Christ that flows through your veins in your life now that causes you to be born again. So Jesus took the cup, and he also blessed it. He passed it in saying, take, drink, all of you. This is the blood of my new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink, church, the blood of Christ. I just want to challenge you this morning to think about what are you living for. Are you living for the eternal or the temporary? Are you living for the glory of God or the glory of man this morning? Go out and tell others. Please stand as we worship this morning.
I cast my life like ashes on the waves and leave behind all of my selfish ways. My past is gone. Now all that's left is grace. To live is Christ. To die is gain. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. I have a second chance in life. My future open wide. I know that Christ lives in me. He lives in me. My dreams I lay surrendered at the cross. My hands held high, my knees upon the dust. My choice is made. I counted up the cost. To live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. I have a second chance in life. My future's open wide. I know that Christ lives Pressing on, I'm pressing on, pressing on to heaven. I've seen the power of your resurrection. The Savior of my soul is Jesus Christ alone. I'm pressing on, I'm pressing on. Pressing on to heaven, I've seen the power of your resurrection. The Savior of my soul is Jesus Christ alone. I have been crucified with Christ. Christ, it is no longer I who 
we're so glad that you're here at worship with us this morning. So just a, a couple of things before we leave. Uh, my wife put this up here, so I'm guessing this is my announcement for you ladies. Her journey is coming up on October 16th, right here at 6.30. It's a great time. Our ladies get together. I think they're studying Ruth this week. I love the story of Ruth. Uh, so if you haven't been there in a while, I encourage you to come uh, join uh, our ladies here for her journey at 6.30 uh, this Friday, August 16th. If you need child care, especially if you're uh, a deployed spouse or a single mom, let us know. Let myself, I think there's a sign up out there as well. You can put your name there just so we have an idea. So we make sure we have adequate child care uh, for that as well. Uh, so I hope that, uh, that you will be edified as you continue to read his word. And I encourage you to continue to read through First Peter. It's a really short book, only five chapters. We'll probably get through it this afternoon pretty quick and see what's coming next. So let me pray for us as we leave here this morning. Father God, we thank you, God, that you have given us new life, Father. God, because you live inside of us, Father, we have the enduring word of God. We have the enduring truth, the enduring presence that the world needs to see every day. And Father, though this world is made of perishable flesh and is passing away, God, we know that you endure forever and that we'll be reminded of that as we live our life. That'll put everything into perspective. Send us out of here this morning, Father, with your word on our lips and the gospel on our feet that we would show others what you are and who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless. Y'all have a great week.